Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. So good. So today we're going to be, we, we've been looking uh, at the book of, of Jonah. And we've been looking from the perspective of this idea of loving our city. And we kind of, we, we started in a bit of a topsy-turvy fashion. We started at chapter four, then we looked at chapter three, then we looked at chapter one. So can anyone guess, there's four chapters in the book, what chapter might we be looking at today? Chapter two, that's good. Someone's like, chapter six. That's, uh, we'll come back. This is not uh, arithmetic, but we'll come back to that later. Uh, we're looking at chapter two, which if we're being honest, when you read through the book of Jonah, chapter two might be the one you skim over. Right, because chapter one's kind of interesting. He, he's called by God. He runs away from the call. There's a storm. The sailors throw him overboard. Chapter two, he's in the belly of the whale. An abbreviated version would be, he says, sorry, God, and he gets spit up by the whale. It's a, a, lot, a lot longer than just saying, sorry, God, which you'll find in a moment. Then chapter three, he goes to Nineveh. He, he preaches a really bad sermon. The city repents. And then chapter four, he has this weird kind of talk with God on a city outside of the hill. But I think it's interesting because something happens in chapter 2 that kind of the rest of the book hinges off. Let me show you what I mean. Turn with me if you have your uh, Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. I'm going to be reading from the message translation, uh, and it, it says this. Then Jonah prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. He prayed, in trouble, deep trouble, I prayed to God. He answered me. From the belly of the grave, I cried, help. You heard my cry. You threw me into ocean's depths, into a watery grave with ocean's waves, ocean breakers crashing over me. I said, I've been thrown away, thrown out, out of your sight. I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. Ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held me tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. I was as far down as a body can go and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. Yet you pulled me up from that grave alive, O God, my God. When my life was slipping away, I remembered God and my prayer got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love, but I'm worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, and I'll do what I promised I'd do. Salvation belongs to God. Then God spoke to the fish and it vomited up Jonah on the seashore. Why you bow your heads with me and, uh, and, and let's pray one more time. God, we thank you as we as we look at your word, as we look at scripture, that uh, it, it is true, God. I, I pray that today, as, as, as we look at this passage, as we unpack it, that it would not be my ideas or my thoughts, but that you would speak, that uh, you would meet us where we are, that, that you know what we need to hear, you know the way in which we need to encounter you, to be called more forwards into the plan and purpose you have for us. I pray today that, that as we look at the scripture, that, that you would get bigger, that our love for you would grow, that we would be more and awe, more amazed at who you are, that we would leave better than when we came in. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, Jonah chapter 2, it, there's a whole lot of kind of prose there, right? Like there's, there's poetry. Essentially what Jonah is doing is he's praying through a version of some of the Psalms. Jonah, like we know, he's a prophet. He's a professional religious man. He knows the, he knows the scripture. And, and so he's in this moment, and, and he does what is a good thing to do in a hard moment. He, he prays, and he quotes Scripture to himself, and he uses it in his prayer. And, and I think this is interesting, because here he is. Jonah is in the belly of a whale. And I just I want to begin with a bit of a, let, let's all be on the same page. Is that good? Belly of the whale, not a great place to be. 
Yeah? We have anyone? No, nah, I'm, I'm pretty keen on, I, was, I got, had tickets to go to Ballyo Whale, got cancelled, I was gutted, right? Ballyo Whale, I don't think any of us have, have been there. If you have, you know, maybe next week we'll get you to share your testimony because that would be fairly interesting. Uh, but, but this sort of situation, we're meant to take from it that this is not a great place to be. This is not a place that you want to be. And I say that to say in life, I think we all have these moments, not literally belly of the whale moments, but moments in which we find ourselves in a place in life that we did not think we would be and we do not want to stay. A moment in which we feel like we're, we're sunk. Maybe we feel like, like Jonah, we can relate to, to those phrases. Man, I'm in a, like a watery grave. I, I love the way that he talks about it. I can relate to this feeling of having his head tangled in seaweed. You ever feel like your head's just tangled in seaweed? You're like, no, Jono, that doesn't, I mean like metaphorically, you know, like it's just, you feel kind of muffled and things are tangled up and, and you're confused and the pressure is on. See, I think in life we all have these moments. And, and maybe if you're fortunate, if you're blessed enough to not have a moment like this in life, I can then guarantee in life we will all encounter others in these moments. In moments in, in the belly of the whale, in moments of, of great need. And I guess what I'm saying is in life there will be storms. In life, things will sink us. And my question today as we look at the second chapter in the book of Jonah is will we have a faith that floats? In life, when we get brought down, in life, when we find ourselves at the bottom of something, will we have a faith that floats? Because in in life, we can have have faith in a lot of things, right? Last week, we talked about the fact that, that everyone worships something. It's not only those of us in the room who know what we worship that worship something. Everyone worships something. But in life, we need to have a faith that floats. We need to have a, a belief that is buoyant. Just, just then you know, when I said that in the 9.30, they gave me a clap for the alliteration. I'm not saying you have to, but I'm, I'm just, we have a belief that is buoyant. Yeah, that, that felt, that, thanks, thank you. I think I probably should go and not the clap. It would have been, would have been better. Right, but, but in life, when things get us down, is there something outside of us that brings us up? Is there something outside of us that, that supports us, that, that lends us help and, and in these moments, right? And I guess what I'm saying is most of the things that we put our faith in, most of the things that we trust, most of the things that we worship, if we're honest, they're not able to bear the weight of the Godhood that we put on them. We ask them to be our God. We think that they would make good gods. Like we talked about last week, an idol is is something that initially it offers you everything and asks for nothing, but eventually it offers you nothing and asks for everything. It looks like a good idea when we start, but it ends up being something that costs us much more than it contributes. And we put our belief and our worship and our hope and our faith in these things. And then when life gets hard and we find ourselves in storms and sinking, they actually pull us down faster. See, so so what happens to Jonah in chapter 2? In in fact, I think it it could be a good question if we've now, reading this passage, we've looked at the entire book. What is the point of the book of Jonah? Does it go beyond just kind of being a a children's Bible story that, that, you know, most of the stories are a fairly nuanced, and we managed to fit this one down into three or four pages in those thick Bibles. Anyone know what I mean? Like the cardboard Bibles that the kids can't accidentally rip the pages out of. As a parent of toddlers, I'm very grateful for those Bibles. But is it any more than that, right? Is it any more than the inspiration for the, the whale scene in, in Pinocchio? Is there something that goes on here? And we've talked about, sure, you know, that the book is meant to ask questions of the reader. And, you know, are you happy with the fact that God loves those that you don't? What are you worshiping? What's your belief in? What can the sailors teach us? But does the book as a whole mean anything? Does it tell it? Or is it just kind of a collection of interesting little anecdotes and then we move on? And I want to say that the, the book has an answer for us. It's a question that I'm, I'm glad you asked, and I believe the point is right here in this chapter, almost at the very middle of the book. The point of the book of Jonah, I would suggest, 
is God's grace. That the point of the book of Jonah is that this man, a prophet, the greatest example that they can put forward of a holy person, of a religious professional who God gave direct instruction to, right? He has a direct line to God. Even this man who should be the best example of someone who understands everything, who has it sorted, who is doing the right thing, even this man can be deeply and profoundly in the dark about the grace of God. And the realization that he comes to in this watery grave is that we are saved by grace. He puts his faith in grace. You may have heard it said before in Ephesians chapter 2, we we know that we are saved by grace through faith. If the team can put that up, then you'll know that I'm not misquoting the Bible, which is always a good thing when you're preaching. No, it's not. There we go. Amazing. We are saved by faith through grace. Right, you might have heard this said before if you've been in church for a while. Uh, but, but Jonah puts it this way. If we go to the next slide, those who worship hollow gods, God frauds, walk away from their only true love. But the NIV translation says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. See, at the center of this book, Jonah gets it. He has this moment of clarity. And so the fish spits him up because everything in the book up until this moment has been leading to this realization. That, that when we worship hollow gods, when we worship idols, we walk away from faith. We walk away from grace. That when we worship idols, when we put our faith in the wrong thing, we inadvertently, whether we mean to or not, we let go of the grace of God. What does that mean, right? It's a big statement. I want to unpack that today by looking at this passage of Jonah. And, and I want to suggest that sometimes in our life, we can walk away from grace. And we don't usually realize it until a storm hits and we cling on to something to help us keep afloat. And we find that what we've been worshiping, what we've been treating as God in our life actually brings us down rather than keeping us afloat. I want to suggest today that we can have a faith that floats. And I want to do so by asking two questions. The first question I want to ask is, what is grace? And then I want to talk about how can we receive grace. Is that good? It's good. All right. So number one, what is grace? Uh, Tim Keller says that grace is favor granted to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. What that basically means is grace is being let into a place that you don't deserve to be let into by a person who is not obligated to let you in there. Uh, Billy Graham and, and Charles Spurgeon, who are heroes of the faith, have defined grace as unmerited favor. It, essentially, it's, it's unearned and it puts you in a privileged position. What this means in application is that no one is so good that they don't need grace, and no one is so bad that they can't find grace. And I think when we understand this, this this realization changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see ourselves. The way in which it changes how we see ourselves probably depends on the day, right? Because when we are proud, it humbles us. I am not so good that I do not need grace. And when we are feeling ashamed, when we are feeling insecure, it encourages us. I am not so bad that I cannot find grace. So we see, we see Jonah go on this journey, and in verse 4, he says, I'll never again lay eyes on the, I'm pointing at where that passage is going to appear. No, no, that's all right. Go back, guys. Uh, he says, I'll never again lay eyes on your holy temple. Right? Jonah is aware that, that he's not worthy. When he's talking about the holy temple, he's talking about the kind of the greatest thing that, that he can uh, lay his eyes on. He says, I'm not worthy to lay eyes on the holy temple. He, he describes himself as in Sheol, in a watery grave, as far from God as he could be. But in verse 7, 
He goes on to say, and my prayers got through to you, made it all the way to your holy temple. So there's this interesting kind of moment, right? He says, man, I'm so far gone. I'm so aware of, of how broken I am that, that I'm never going to again see your holy temple. I'm too far gone, God. And then he says, and yet, and in fact, verse 6 starts, yet you pulled me up from the grave alive. My prayer made it through to you all the way to your holy temple. And, and that and yet is key. He acknowledges, man, I'm broken and, and there's something deeply wrong with me and I'm aware of my mistakes and my running and yet, God, you meet me and you do what I can't do. The, the and yet leads us to realize there's no cause. God doesn't act because of what Jonah has done. God doesn't act because of what is in Jonah's heart. God acts because of what is in God's heart. See, what is grace? It's unmerited favor. It's an and yet that we would be lost in our sin, that we would be stranded in our iniquity, that we would have made mistakes and could not earn our way into God's good grace. And yet he would meet us. He would send his son to die for us on a cross to take on the weight of our sin and shame. The center of our faith is an and yet. The center of the book of, of Jonah is an and yet. There's grace. But I think the, the tricky thing isn't knowing that there's grace. Almost anyone, whether we be in church or not, whether we've, we've come to faith or not, could tell you, oh, yeah, no, no, you know, the thing about Christianity is like a God, and, and, and maybe he's angry, but then maybe he's not angry, and maybe he loves you, and there's like a grace thing, I don't know. But the, the, the trick to it is not just knowing that there is grace. The trick is that second question, how do we receive grace? I, I would put it this way, what do we put our faith in. If we are saved by grace through faith, how do we put our faith in grace? Does that make sense? Let me, let me put it this way. I came up with this analogy during the week. I'm quite proud of it. So uh, just, just go with it. If you think it's not a great analogy, just pretend that you do because it's the rest of the sermon is this analogy. It, it has to be a faith that floats, right? And that's where, we, that's where I started with this idea. And, and so I was thinking, imagine, maybe close your eyes for a moment. Go on a, an adventure in your mind with me. It was good, eh? Uh, imagine you're on a boat. Lovely boat, right? You can hear the seagulls. You're out, I don't know, somewhere lovely. And, and then imagine all of a sudden there's a hole in your boat. Oh, no, this is a horrible imagining, Jono. Why'd you take me here? This is not like guided, you know, that relaxation thing I do before I go to bed. This is a nightmare. There's a hole in your boat, and your boat is filling with water. And you look around, and, and, and you're worried, as you should be. Your, your boat is, is beginning to sink. And there are two things in your boat that can help you in this situation. There is a life jacket, and there is a warm woolen coat. As your boat is sinking, which one do you reach for to put on? Right? Do you reach for the life jacket, or do you reach for the woolen coat? And there's no cheating. You can't put on the woolen coat and then put the life jacket on over top. It doesn't fit. You can't put on the life jacket and then the woolen coat over top of the life jacket. It doesn't fit. Right? You have to choose one. There's no third way here. You can open your eyes. We've gone on an adventure together in our minds long enough. Right? Probably everyone in the room is like, life jacket. I choose the life jacket. This is a silly, this is a silly example, Jono. I know I said that I'd tell you it was good, but it's not. This is a dumb example. Everyone's going to choose the, the life jacket. If you're in a boat and it's sinking, you put on the life jacket. There's two parts here. There's grace and there's faith. Grace is the immutable reality that regardless of who I am and what I do, that life jacket will float. That it is buoyant because of what it is. That there is nothing that I can do to make it not a life jacket. There is nothing that I can change to make it not float. It is a life jacket and it will float because of what it is. And faith is what I choose to do with it. 
Faith is choosing to put that life jacket on. You know, you can sit in that boat as the water is rising and as the boat starts to sink more and more, as it goes from your ankles being wet to your knees being wet to your waist to the water up to your chest. And you can say to yourself, man, that life jacket would keep me afloat. That, that life jacket would be so helpful in this situation. That would be amazing. You can go on Sunday and you can sing songs about the life jacket. Man, that life jacket is incredible. And you can put on the warm coat. You can put on the warm coat and, and you can sing. And, and as you're sinking, you can think to yourself, that life jacket would definitely have worked really, really well. That life jacket would have been so helpful, but the life jacket cannot help you unless you put it on, right? Grace cannot be applied in your life unless we put our faith in it. See, it's grace through faith. It's our faith in God's grace that leads to a change in our life because grace isn't something that you earn. See, our first point, it's unmerited favor, but it is something that you receive, Our responsibility is not saving ourselves, but it is receiving the salvation that is freely offered to us. It's through faith by grace. And and everyone says, man, I want to put on the life jacket. But I believe in life all too often we're sinking in the warm coat. Man, that life jacket would be helpful. But this warm coat, I guess this is where I am. I think Jonah has a solution for us. Jonah has something uh, helpful for for us if we find that we're in a position where we realize, man, my faith is in something that will not float. Or if we know others who, who we realize, man, their faith is in something that will not float. He says, if we cling to worthless idols, we reject grace. The solution then, if we turn that around, would be if we reject worthless idols, we cling to grace. See, I think generally, if you're anything like me, I have three approaches to grace in my life, three ways in which I can receive or not receive God's grace in my life. The the first approach is I don't see sin, and so I ignore grace, right? We we can have too low a view of our sin, and so we ignore grace. We're on the the boat. We're looking at the sea thinking, "I, I reckon maybe I can tread water for a while. I'm, I'm a pretty strong swimmer. I don't reckon I, I need the, the life jacket. I think maybe I'm going to be okay. We can look at our life and go, yeah, no, no, I know that God came for everyone to forgive the sins of the world. But, but if we're honest, I was almost there. Like, I know it's not a works-based faith, but if it was, I was winning. I'm pretty good. We don't like being told that we're spiritual failures, right? The sermon seems too harsh, a bit negative. And so we don't put on the life jacket. We try and stay afloat in our own efforts. And this is an idol. We cling to our own ability rather than grace. It's just simply self-righteousness. And no one in the room is like, yeah, yeah, me. I'm self-righteous. That's me. But all of us have a proclivity. All of us have a leaning and inclination to be self-righteous at times. Self-righteousness is simply feeling like God is obligated to you. It's never overt. It's always subtle. And one of the most subtle ways it presents is as religion. Now remember, idols can be good things. I'm not saying religion as a whole. I'm not saying Christianity is a bad thing. But I am saying that if we put our faith, if we worship Christianity, if we worship Christian activities rather than God, we put our faith in something that will not float. We put our faith in a method rather than the reason for it. We put our faith in a way rather than the result, right? And and if we worship Christian activities, if we do them as a way, not from a place of gratitude, but because they make us feel clean, they make us feel accepted, they make us feel like God surely has to do something for me. Look at how hard I'm working on all these things. Then it becomes something that it's self-righteousness and we put our faith in something that is not God and will not float. 
on the other side of this, and in some cases, we, we, we worship what we call darling sins. Darling sins are simply things that, that we know are, are bad. We know that they're wrong, but it gives us meaning. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a God. It's an idol to us, and we know that it's wrong. We know that it's not healthy. We know that it's, it's not going to help us, and yet it, it, it feels too necessary to, to a part of our life to let go of. Like I said, an idol is something that initially it gives you everything and asks for nothing, but ultimately it gives you nothing and asks for everything. But we grasp onto these things as a part of who we are, as a meaning, as something that brings us value, and we hold on to them so tightly that we forget what it looks like to let go of them, but they'll sink. See, Jonah shows us, he looks at his idols, he looks at the idols in his life, he's aware of how far he is, he thinks about the depth of his sin, he says, I was as far down as a body can go and the gates were slamming shut behind me forever. It's an encouraging sermon so far, right? Like, hey, don't forget, you're sinners, saved by grace, but you're sinners. But I think sometimes we can go too far that way, man, I'm, I'm, I'm so broken, I'm so lost, God, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't know if you want to save me. Because the other thing that Jonah does is he doesn't just look at the depths of his sin, because if that's all you do, then you won't be invigorated by God's grace. He also looks at the lengths to which God has gone to bring grace. He looks at the heights. See, the second approach that I think that we can take is, is we don't see mercy. And because we don't see mercy, we ignore grace. We have too low a view of God's mercy. See, here on the other side of the spectrum, we can be all too aware of our failures, all too aware of the things that, that we do wrong, so aware that we're not really sure that God can help, right? We, we look at the life jacket and we're like, I don't know, I'm pretty big, I'm pretty heavy, I've got a lot of baggage, a lot of things in my pockets that I'm not going to let go of. I don't think that their life jacket's going to work for me, for other people maybe, but not for me, and so we don't put it on. See, Jonah doesn't stay mulling over where his sin has gotten him. He, he looks to the holy temple. He doesn't stay thinking about the depths at which he's at. He looks to the holy temple. Why? Because Jonah knew that God's grace is not a cheap grace. He knows that God does not simply roll his eyes and be like, oh, well, I guess boys will be boys, you know, like humanity's going to make a mess. Don't worry, I'll wipe this lake clean. He knows that it's not as simple, it's not as easy at that, that, that God's grace, God's forgiveness of us is a dear grace, is a costly grace, that we are granted grace because someone died in our place, that someone took the weight of our sin, the penalty of our, of our transgressions upon himself. Now Jonah looks to the temple, Jonah does not know who Jesus is. Jonah is not aware, but he knows that something is coming from the temple, that mercy is coming from the temple. He doesn't know that he's a broken signpost pointing the way to a Savior who did not spend three days in the belly of a whale, but spent three days in a tomb. He doesn't know that, that he is that signpost caused to, to, to bring us hope. But he knows that as he looks to the holy temple, that mercy is coming, that, that something is, is changing. Jonah somehow knew that something was coming from the temple. Jonah didn't just look at his sin. He looked to God's mercy. My third point, just as I get uh, the, the band up because we're done. The third way, because there is always a third way, is we see our sin, we see God's mercy, and we receive grace. See, it takes both. It takes not just being aware of our sin, not just being aware of God's mercy, but being aware of both. It's, uh, otherwise, it's like walking around with one eye closed, right? We lack depth perception. We can't engage with the world in the way in which we're meant to be. It takes both. I don't believe anyone aims to ignore sin or to ignore mercy, but we do. I know that I do in my life. 
It can look like pride or it can look like shame, but ultimately what it is, is is I cling to something other than God. We've all heard those testimonies where someone shares and it's like a 10 minute testimony and, and nine minutes and 30 seconds is all the things that they did wrong, all the ways in which they were broken. You're like, man, you're going into a lot of a lot of detail. I don't really understand how this how this builds the case, but but okay, I guess we're hearing about all the things you did. Cool. And then the last 30 seconds, like, yeah, and then I guess God saved me and stuff, and so that was fun and cool, and yeah, done. Well, I don't I don't know if God was glorified in that testimony. But the other way, we, we also hear the, oh, share a testimony about how God's been good to you, and you're like, I don't know. I guess, you know, I was pretty good, but God came along and made me good, better. I was better good with God. Wow, compelling. It's both, right? It's not worshiping our, our iniquity and our sin, but it's also not pretending that we do not have need of a Savior. It's, it's bringing those two together and realizing, man, I see that, that I am a sinner saved by grace. And I see that that grace is not a cheap grace, but it's a costly grace and it comes to me at a great price. And so I value it. See, an idol is a thing that we cling to, that we put in the place of God. It's anything that we put in the place of God. It can be a good thing. It can be a bad thing. It can be our ability or our inability. But living in grace looks like rejecting worthless idols, worthless in comparison and clinging to grace. Unless we see the depth of our sin, what Jesus did for us will not amaze us. And unless we see what Jesus did for us, we will not have the strength to admit the depth of our sin. So church, I'm done. This message is hopefully a simple one. That Jonah chapter 2 teaches us that the theme of the book of Jonah is God's grace. When we put the two together, sin and mercy, there's a reaction. There's an explosion within us that, that when the Bible talks about being born again, this is it. That we know that we are dead in our sin and we know that we are raised in Jesus. We need to know that we are both dead and raised to know that there is new life. To know that there is hope. See, if grace is unmerited favor, if it's freely given, we get the choice as to what we put our faith in. We get to choose, do we ignore it and have its place taken by an idol or do we reject idols and cling to grace? Do we choose to have a faith that floats, a faith in God's grace that when things come along and life gets hard, it might not eliminate the problem, but it provides a perspective and a peace in the midst of it. And when we receive that grace, when we embrace it, I believe it changes us. We realize that we are not any more deserving or less deserving, that we all fall short. We realize that no one is so good that they don't need grace and no one is so bad that they can't find grace. The only distinctive is what or who we put our faith in. Will we trust in an idol that ultimately will offer us everything and and give us nothing? Or will we put our faith in the grace of God that pulls us from the depths? church just as we bow our heads as we close our eyes my intent today was simply that we would leave more convinced to the goodness of God that if we have a relationship with Jesus we would leave more in love with him more enamored with with who he is and what he has done and continues to do that something in us would would be so aware of the grace that we have been afforded that we would want to let others know but primarily every time we gather together we want to have an opportunity in which we can respond to the gospel the good news that you do not need to trust in an idol that will sink you can have a faith that floats that you would know that God's grace is for you his favor unmerited favor freely given our choice is what do we put our faith in 
And so if you're here today, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you would say, Jono, I know that I'm trusting in something other than God. I need to choose, be it for the first time or as a recommitment, to cling to grace, to trust in God as my Savior, not in myself or anything that I might be able to do or not able to do. If that's you in a moment, I'm going to count to three, and I would love you to raise your hand to let me know, but more importantly, so that you can look back and go, that was a moment that I clung to grace. I made a decision to choose to follow Jesus. And it's a decision we outwalk. It's not just a moment, it's a life. But you could look at today as being the start of that, that journey, that trust. So if that's you here today, as heads are bowed, eyes are closed, if you would love to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to trust Him as your God, to stop clinging to something that will sink and find a faith that flows. Heads about, eyes are closed. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Three, two, one. Awesome, I see that hand. I see that hand, thank you. If there are others here today, would you raise your hand up nice and high and say, Jono, today, this is, this is the day of salvation for me. I'm receiving, I'm responding. I choose to put my faith in something beyond myself. church, would you repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, today I come to you, realizing I need you. I fall short, but you came for me. You died for me. Today, I accept your sacrifice. I turn from my own ways, my own gods, my idols that sink, and I put my faith in you. I leave them to follow you. Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, church. In a moment, we're going to go out with a song of praise. But, but just before we do, I want to leave you with, with two thoughts, two applications of this message. The first is if we've prayed that prayer before, we know Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Let's not count ourselves out as people who can overlook our sin or overlook God's mercy. Right, Jonah was a holy man. He was a religious professional. And the theme of the book of Jonah, the point of the book of Jonah is even someone like him who should know, someone like him who, who in hardship can quote the Psalms, even someone like him can miss God's grace. If Jonah can miss it, we can miss it. Things will derail us. We will cling to other things by accident. We'll be enamored with idols that offer us everything but ultimately grant us nothing. And so I think it's always so important that we would look at our lives on a regular basis and say, man, where am I blocking grace? Where do I need to let grace flow? Where do I need to open myself up to the realization that God is for me? Where have I been diminishing what I've done and I need to take responsibility for it, own it and move on for it? Where have I been diminishing God's mercy and I need to realize, God, you are so good and that that realization would cause something in us to grow. And the second point would be, if grace is in us, I believe it causes us to action. We're told that faith without works is dead. If we have our faith in grace, I believe it motivates us, not from an earning point of view, but the response within us is, God, you are so good and your goodness motivates me to action. Where can we share the hope that we have with others? Maybe you want to partner with us in Heart Week. Maybe you want to do good for nothing. That there are people in your life you've told the gospel to, to your blue in the face, but you just need to show them that they're loved that we would preach the gospel at all times, sometimes we would use words, but that our lives would be a testimony to who God is, to His goodness and His grace. Maybe today you know that there's simply someone in your life who is close to you but far from God, and you just need to share a little bit more about what God has done for you, that they might take a step closer to Him. 
that we would be a church that advances the gospel, that brings the kingdom of heaven to earth because we let people know that grace is not just for us, it's for all. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.